This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So we're talking about uh, sort of the different generations that we have today. Uh, we know that it doesn't matter where, what age group you're in or where you fall in those mm-hmm. groups. Uh, there's financial challenges. Every one of them. Debt doesn't discriminate. Debt does not <laughs> discriminate. Uh, I, but this is cool, and this is why I want you to pay attention. Sands & Associates does an annual study examining trends and key information about British Columbians, period, who are facing financial challenges or difficulties, and they get divided up into groups. And we're going to talk about the sandwich generation in this segment, which I think is really, really interesting. I learned a lot when I was reading and preparing for this for this segment. Um, let's talk about who the sandwich generation is. Yeah, so I, I actually fit pretty squarely in the in this demographic. So it's uh, defined as people within between the ages of thirty one to fifty four, um, and it's called the sandwich generation because you know essentially this is a group of folks that are sandwiched by financial pressures on both sides because mm-hmm. quite often they're supporting elderly parents that are still around but perhaps need some help, mm-hmm. you know, whether financially or otherwise. So that's one half of the sandwich. But then oftentimes they have a family of their own, so they're trying to support you know children, a spouse, or perhaps you know even a immediate family members that might be having some challenges. So it can lead to a squeeze effect where, you know, you're looking after the older generation and the younger generation and you feel like you're sandwiched in the middle. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah, I'm not in that group anymore, but I used to be. And I used to be in that place where I had elderly parents that I was trying to support in different ways. And then uh, not that I have children, but uh, looking after other people in my family at the same time. And Mm -hmm. it is, it's a, it's a, it's a very challenging place to be. Um, yeah, it's just a very challenging place to be. Yeah, so. and, and that's what we found, Elaine. So you mentioned our study, and every year we do the largest in-depth study that's ever done the problems of BC focused on people who are having financial difficulties, and it really does change across the demographics. So what people who are senior citizens versus youth individuals, they had some really big differences compared to what we're going to focus on today, which is the sandwich generation. Okay, so let's talk about that. How much debt uh, does the average person in the sandwich generation, how much debt do they hold? Yeah, and this is all, you know, how much debt did they have before they reached out for help. So, you know, there are folks, you know, probably... You know, they have a, a smaller amount of debt, but if it's escalating at some point, they will reach the point where they think they need to get some help. And that's usually when they would reach out to Sands and Associates or another trustee. Okay. So what we found is there were two main categories that was over half of, um, you know, over actually 60% um, of the research here. Uh, there was a category about one in four people. They had between ten dollars and $25,000 of debt. Um, you know, depending on your frame of reference, that might sound like a huge amount of debt or not very much depending on your, on your income. Sure. Uh, but definitely it's once you get above, you know, roughly ten thousand dollars of credit card debt specifically the interest rate just really starts to work against you you know compound interest on interest when it's greater than ten thousand dollars it can really start to snowball quickly so you know one in four it was in the range of 10 to 25 um, the next um, segment and this was actually the 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 largest segment in total, and it was about you know two out of five people or forty percent. They were in the range of twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars. That's a huge amount of money. 
Yeah, you can imagine, you know, that might be, you know, seven or eight different credit cards. You know, there's not one credit card that's sitting there at $50,000, but, you know, in total, it's it's a big number. And, you know, a lot of the times the folks that I meet with when uh, the debt's that high, uh, you know, there, there's two things. One is often the only way they're surviving is by playing what we call financial Tetris. And what that means is you're taking money from one card, you know, getting a piece off that card and putting a little bit of money on another card so that you get below the limit for one month and then you can, you can live another month, but you're just moving money around um, quite often. And, you know, another thing that we really noticed is, you know, how did debt get to this point? Sometimes there's been either one or even more than that failed consolidation attempts. So someone knew they were having a problem. They sat down, they got their bank to, you know, either put all the money together on a low rate card or they took out a loan. Um, But where a consolidation can fail is after you do the consolidation, you got to make sure you dealt with the underlying problem and you're not borrowing money still, because a lot of the time they've got to consolidate the balance and then the credit cards have unfortunately you know, escalated again to what they were before. So if I'm up to my eyeballs in, in looking after and, and supporting parents or o- older people within my family, and I've got my own family, uh, it's pretty hard to pay attention mm-hmm. to the kinds of signs that we need to pay attention to that show us we're in trouble, that debt is becoming larger than it needs to be or should be or can be in terms of being able to look after it. Mm-hmm. So where, when, and or how did these people figure that out? You know, similar to, to many folks that come in to, to see us, you know, they were functioning just fine. You know, they were somehow managing to get things paid, but then there was a shock to the system. So what people told us, you know, the top causes in in order here, uh, you know, one in four people, it was overextension of credit or financial mismanagement. So people just said, you know what, I manage things not the right way. I'm, you know, moving money around too much. I'm paying too much interest. You know, very much they put the blame on themselves. And usually there's a combination of factors, uh, but definitely people self-identify and say, you know, this is my fault that I overextended myself. I financially mismanaged myself and now I need some help. Sure. Now, when we look a little bit more deeply, um, you know, the other, the, the top three causes, so the one is financial mismanagement, but the other job-related, you know, unemployment, a layoff, a reduction in pay, generally something almost always outside of your control, you know, unless you quit your job, which most people don't do, but it's often it's a shock to the system that suddenly your income is not what it was, and your house of cards, so to speak, that you've built up by just being able to pay the minimums every month, that can crumble very quickly if suddenly the income isn't there to just make the minimums anymore. And it was 16% of the folks that fall into this age category yeah. that that was the reason they got there. Exactly, yeah. And that's a that's a significant uh, percentage to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. What's the third one on this? The third one is definitely if folks are, are thinking out there, okay, you know, midlife, well, what could really cause me a problem? You know, definitely you're losing your job could, but almost equally losing your relationship. So going through a divorce or the dissolution of a long-term relationship or having uh, a spouse unfortunately pass away or one of those those types of issues can be financially catastrophic. So especially within this uh, generation, that was on par with job loss. And again, just slightly behind blaming yourself for the problem. Interesting. So how do you, so how, how do I know that, or, or how do you guys know that, yeah, this is a problem, the debt is a problem, what are the, what are the things that people are doing? You know, for us as um, as experts, it's pretty straightforward when we sit down and, you know, we put all the things out on a sheet of paper, we can very quickly see, well, you've got so much debt that all you're doing is paying minimum payments. You know, we can do the math very quickly. Um, but what individuals actually feel when they come through the door, it, what's been gratifying to me is more and more individuals are doing the math themselves. Oh. So what they're finding out is, you know what, I'm only making the minimum payments each month and I'm really struggling to do that. 
and I look closely at my credit card statements, which you and I have talked about mm-hmm. before, Elaine, there's that disclosure. Yes. That if you only make the minimum payments, you know, if it's taking you 20 or 40 or 80 or 100 years to pay it off. Exactly. You know, that's a great little piece of information to gnaw at you in the back of your mind saying, I've got to do something different or I'm going to owe this money until I'm not here anymore. Yeah, I got well, I got a credit card bill this week and I looked mm-hmm. at it and because I thought, oh, I'm going to see. Blair tells me that that's on here somewhere. Yeah. So I looked and sure enough, it told me that I'd be, I'd have this paid off in two years and four months or 20 years and four right. months. I can't remember what yeah. it was. And I just laughed. I thought, oh man, that's crazy. Yeah, it's I crazy. They're t- I mean, it's good that they're telling me this, but I mean, it's just dumb, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's impossible. Impossible. Yeah. You know, I, I often tell individuals, you know, look at it from the credit card company's perspective. You know, they're earning a 20% return on the money that they've lent, it, lent to you every single year. Could you imagine where you could ever invest, earn 20% year after exactly. year, no problems? It doesn't exist out here, yeah, right? I hear so you. when it's working against you, you know, you, you really have to have to take stock and say, we're going to do something different. So yeah, one of the number one reasons why people came to see us is they looked at their minimum payments and they just knew they weren't coming Okay. We're getting ahead. What are the other? You've got two more that are the yeah. top three ones. Yeah, definitely. The, the second one, and this is, again, someone looking at their own situation and just saying, you know, the indicators are moving in the wrong direction. So this is just simply accumulating more debt. So, you know, pick a point in the year and compare yourself to last year. Do you owe more money now or do you owe more money or did you owe, do you owe less money now? Are you, right. are you better off than you were a year ago or not? And if that answer is no, well, then obviously you're trending in the wrong direction. Exactly. So the second largest factor for us was people saying, well, we just know we're accumulating debt. We, we don't know what to do to stop it. But every year or every month, we end up more in debt. Got it. And then the third one is really evident, right? When your phone is ringing off the wall. Yeah, this one's, you know, as old as, as the phone probably, but these are collection calls. So yeah, when you've got someone coming through the phone at you, you now oftentimes they're threatening things that aren't true and could never happen, but you can imagine how scary it can be. Someone saying, I'm going to be at your door tomorrow to cart away your furniture and I'm going to be telling all your neighbors about it. Yeah. And how stressful that is on top of all the other stresses. So again, we're talking about the sandwich generation. Uh, Anywhere you're aged, anywhere between 31 to 54, you've got two ends of stress. You've got, you're looking after older parents and then you've got your own family you're looking after. What do folks do? do first. I mean, if they don't phone you, mm-hmm. what do they do? Oh, yeah. And we're never the first call, never, right? You know, right? everyone's going to try to fix it on their own first, which you should, right? Yeah. You know, your, your first call should not be to the trustee. It should be, you know, let's look at what we can do to fix the situation. So, you know, most people, they try to cut their expenses first. You know, the top categories people um, speak to us about and very common sense stuff, they, you know, less entertainment and less dining out. See, that makes good sense to mm-hmm. me. Yeah, it's a very easy way to spend hundreds of dollars a month without even really noticing it if it's just, you know, the odd restaurant or a little bit of entertainment here and there. Um, you know, clothing expenditures and shopping. Uh, but then the third one's very concerning. It's yeah. all about savings and retirement contributions. So it's really compromising your future to deal with paying off your past consumption. Yeah, and that's a real middle class kind of things like, well, I've got all this money saved. I need to use that to pay off my debts. And you go, yeah. no. Yeah, almost always a bad idea. RRSPs, all those things that you've put money into. Yeah, just don't touch them unless you've spoken to an expert and you know exactly what you're signing on for. If you do it with eyes wide open, great. But many people compromise their retirement for no good reason. Yeah, and then, of course, other friends and family going to them for money. Yeah, and we, we often say on this show, you know, that's just enlarging the problem. You know, it generally, it's not going to solve it. It's not going to get you out of debt. And now you've got someone that you really care about, a family member that you might potentially have to disappoint at some point. Because if you owe a bunch of people money, whether it's a family member or not, you can't suddenly start to treat them preferential and only pay back your family member. 
member. You have to be fair to everybody. Right. And then you think, oh, well, what if I take a, a second job or work longer hours, which is unbelievably just adds way much more stress on top of an already yeah. stressful situation. And sometimes guess, more expense too, right? Commuting and different, different out-of-pocket costs. Yeah. Exactly. So in, in our as we wind up this segment, so everybody's got their own challenges. Each generation, we know that. What are some of the challenges that the sandwich uh, generation is up against in particular? You know, a lot of the pressures that they're facing um, come down to trying to manage, you know, their own finances, but also support other family members. So, you know, it's the old airplane analogy is, you know, fix your mask first before you try to help others. Uh, many times in the sandwich generation, they're so focused on trying to help everybody else that their own financial situation can suffer. And the overwhelmingness of that as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's got to be huge. Yeah. And, you know, most of the time, individuals that I deal with, they're not weak people by, by any means, but it's just if you don't see a solution, if you see everything closing in at once, you know, it can just lead to your stress level rising, your physical tolls, emotional impacts of debt, all things we're going to talk about in other segments here, yeah. but debt stress is real stress. For more information, if this information resonates with you or if you've heard us describe you and your situation, uh, the best thing to do is check out Sands & Associates' website. It's very easy, sands-trustee.com. It's filled with good questions, lots of answers and information. And also on that website, you can book your free consultation with one of the experts and uh, start fixing this debt problem and start living that debt-free life. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So this top, this uh, segment, all about financial problems and, and the issue with them when they build up over time, and which is fair, but what about the debt that hits unexpectedly? Like something, mm-hmm. yeah, we're in trouble, da-da-da-da-da, and then all of a sudden, wham, we have this huge amount um, that we owe. So we talk about debt all the time on the show and how accumulating debt can snowball over time. What are some of the common scenarios, Blair, that you see uh, that people have to deal with when they have debt all of a sudden? One of those mm-hmm. instantaneous <clears throat> things, like overnight they're in trouble. Yeah. So there's the, you know, the old saying that, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, um, it could be a train coming towards you. Exactly. And, and I've had clients, you know, exactly tell me that that metaphor that, yeah, it's like they got, you know, hit by a train. They got this unexpected bill in the mail. They got this unexpected assessment from CRA, something where they thought everything was fine. And wow, their, their world just changes. So let's go through a couple things today of, you know, how that could happen. Let's talk about the CRA tax debt because, well, you know, it, it, we all have to pay taxes, right? Yeah. And it's one thing to, to expect it, right? So yeah. you know you know, if you're self-employed and you're putting money away, um, you know you're going to have a tax bill, you sock the money away and you're, and you're going to be able to pay it. But you know, sometimes you haven't put any money away because you thought you didn't owe the government anything. And then, my God, when you file your tax returns and when they assess it back to you, you're asked to pay a bunch of money. Um, you know, some reasons why that could happen. You know, one is you might have been working with a new accountant or even an old accountant and they just made mistakes. Sure. We're all human and sometimes we fall prey to, you know, we trust experts so completely that we don't even, you know, validate their work. Absolutely. If if an accountant's doing, you know, a couple hundred tax returns at once, you know, sometimes the wrong number can get to the wrong line item and that can cause a bit of an issue. And that's why I go to a tax account because I couldn't possibly do them myself, or Mm -hmm. at least I don't think I could. Yeah. So I completely rely on them. Right. Completely. 
Yeah. And, you know, for good reason, but it's always, you know, give yourself, you know, the sanity check. Just look at the return before you send it in. Right. Because a lot of my clients, it was such an egregious mistake that, yeah, they would have seen it if they had actually looked at the, oh, at the return. Okay. Now, that's not the toughest thing to correct. Usually you file, you know, a T1 adjustment or you, you speak to CRA and you can get that done. Um, but obviously that can be a shock if your accountant has made a mistake. And if you let it go too long, you know, generally after about two or three years, you know, usually three years, um, you might not be able to file an adjustment on, on that return. So, you know, you've got to make sure that you deal with things relatively quickly as, as they do come up. Yeah, and CRA is not, not always known for its um, flexible thinking around <laughs> things when you owe them money. <laughs> Yeah, their compassionate side is it's not the side they lead with, typically, <laughs> let, let's say that. That's it, it, it is there. They're all human beings. But but yeah, the compassion can sometimes be a bit of a secondary consideration. Yeah. Um, you know, a really common way that people start to owe tax money unexpectedly is they think they're doing everything right and they go and get a second job. And what they don't realize, that second job might push them into a higher tax bracket. And unless they've told that new employer to withdraw taxes at a higher tax bracket, at the end of the year when they file their taxes, they're going to owe money on those new self-employed earnings that probably they haven't socked away because they weren't anticipating that owing that money. Right. Interesting. And that little note that I thought uh, thought of when I was reading about this particular topic was uh, in relation to CRA. Uh, if you're like me, and I, I know there's lots of folks just like me who look, have to look after other people for their taxes, mm-hmm. uh, let's say manage their parents' estate or something, yep. um, the CRA is not very flexible when it comes to somebody who's passed and what they owe either. Just mm-hmm. in case you thought that maybe you had a bit of leeway or, or lead time to deal yeah. with this? No, they don't. Oh, they yeah. actually start accumulating interest right then and there. Just a word to the wise. Well, and, and there you go. Yeah. There so, you go. so it's, yeah, if someone passes, their assets have to go to satisfy their, their tax debt first before any beneficiaries would get them. And yeah, they, as CRA has all the power here, they can charge interest right away. Uh, what's really important to know if you owe them money is anybody else, they've got to take you to court before they can touch your wages or seize your assets. CRA can bypass that entire step. They can start to seize your wages, seize your assets with really very little notice to you. They're not going to do that the day after they send you a notice that you owe money. But if you have haven't dealt with it over a period of time, CRA is probably going to bring out some pretty heavy um, collection activities. Well, I'm really glad I mentioned it then because I didn't realize that uh, they can take that. They have that kind of power. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Okay, so ICBC, if you're mm-hmm. in a vehicle accident of some sort, there's an unexpected thing happening. Yeah, so you never plan, obviously, to be in a motor vehicle accident. And, you know, ideally, you're fine, right? You know, you're not physically injured. Um, but there can be a number of reasons why ICBC might not cover you fully or even at all for that type of an accident. And that can be an incredible shock if you get a bill from ICBC. I've seen some of my clients hundreds of thousands of dollars, even over a million dollars. You know, it could be that, you know, you were driving while your license was suspended um, or you borrowed someone's vehicle and you weren't, you know, the proper driver on their insurance. You know, there could be a number of reasons. There could be a criminal um, act being committed at that time too. And a a motor vehicle accident is just a piece of it. But what happens when you owe ICBC money is it's very similar to to a government debt to Canada Revenue Agency in that it doesn't go away. So you can't wait them out. There's right. not a statute of limitations. They're not going to disappear. And that's right. Um, but the thing for people to take away is if it's so big of a number that you can't pay it, you know, if it's something reasonable, you can work out payment terms with ICBC, that's great. But if it's such a big number that you can't pay, in almost every case, and there are always some exceptions, you know, if someone was drunk driving and killed somebody, if you can't do this, but in almost every case, you're able to file either a consumer proposal to reduce the debt down to what you can afford, you know, get your life back and do a 
payment plan, or if it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever, you could file a personal bankruptcy and ICBC debt is generally treated the same as other debt. So this is one where if this resonates with you, you'd want to sit down with your trustee. We've got direct relationships with ICBC before we ever file a proposal or file a bankruptcy. We confirm with them, how is ICBC going to treat this filing? Because you'd never want to file for a bankruptcy knowing that, hey, the whole reason I'm doing this is ICBC debt, but this ICBC debt is actually not going to be captured in the bankruptcy because, you know, there was criminal activity or something like that. So we get all that clarity up front, but in just about every case that I've seen, we're able to file a proposal or a bankruptcy, help the person get their license back, uh, you know, be able to drive again and move forward. And that's why it's so important uh, to come and see somebody like yourself, uh, a licensed insolvency trustee, to figure, to find that information out, Mm -hmm. that you know that the whole adage about uh, not knowing is is far worse than knowing what you need to do mm-hmm. and this is certainly a case of that you yeah. need to know you've got lots of options out there and uh, and that you might not have even thought of yeah yeah take a deep breath there's nothing that's hopeless there's no situation I've ever seen that we can't devise a plan to help it move forward one of the one of the topics in this in this overall topic is about clawbacks if mm-hmm. uh, some something for some reason whether it be a contract they've already paid you and now they're coming back for a myriad of different reasons yeah. to say no you actually owe us that money now yeah this one is sometimes some of the tougher meetings that I have because quite often it's the government that made a mistake. It's the government that paid out too much in EI or they paid out, you know, too much in OAS or in disability benefits. Uh, But the government, uh, from their point of view, they don't make mistakes. So it's the person's mistake because the person should have known that they were receiving too much benefits and they should have put that money aside until the government asked for it to be paid back. Um, You know, to the extent if it's an EI overpayment, the government says, well, that person actually committed fraud because they should have told us right away when they were working and we would have adjusted the benefits and so on and so forth. So if you're sitting there with an overpayment, um, that can be a pretty tough debt because it's the same as a CRA tax debt. They can garnish you your wages, they can try to seize assets, and in some cases, it's a debt that's not always captured in a bankruptcy or in a proposal. So for an EI overpayment, for example, you know I've seen both sides of the coin come up where the government has said, okay, this person has filed for bankruptcy, we're going to allow this debt to be discharged in the bankruptcy. I've also seen them say, well, no, this is due to fraud. They didn't tell us when they were working. We continued to pay EI. So even though the person filed a bankruptcy or a proposal, they still ended up owing the money on the other side. So it's something you definitely need to be careful about if there's a government overpayment. Put the money aside unless you're very, very sure that they're paying you the appropriate amount. If any of this information is resonating with you, either you're in the same particular situation or you know someone who is, or you feel like, oh boy, that sounds familiar. I think that's what my issue is. Uh, Blair Manton and Sands and Associates, they're the people to go and see. They can answer your questions. You get a free consultation right out, right at the start uh, to sit down and say, okay, this is my situation. This is where I am. What should I do? Easy to find them. They've got a 1-800 number at 661 3030 for that free consultation or to find an office near you. Check out their website as well. It's just chock full of good information. Sands-trustee.com. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. 
We've got Sophie Salcido on the line with us. She's a wealth advisor at Van City with 20 years of experience providing financial advice. She loves what she does. And you're going to hear that as we talk about this very, very important topic, children and money. Uh, I know that I make judgments all the time when I see kids with their money or I see their parents and go, how are they ever going to teach their kids how to deal with money if the parents are so bad at it? And uh, so we're going to cover a whole bunch of topics within sort of within that realm with Sophie. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start right off the top. Why do you think it's so important to teach children about money? Well, I just think it's the most important topic that I can talk about. And it's actually for me a real personal cause. So number one reason really is that financial skills and learning about money and how to use it well, it's the foundation for your life. So it's going to set the trend for your financial skills for the rest of your life. And in fact, if most of us think back, many of our, many, if not most of our habits and attitudes about money, where were they formed? They were formed likely in childhood. So it's super important. Absolutely. Boy, oh boy, I can just think of the, my, hear my dad's voice in the back of my head, right? Yeah, around the kitchen table, all the exactly. discussions, right? Put that yeah. money aside, make sure you save 10%, all of that stuff. It's not Why what you make, it? it's what you save. I remember my dad saying that again and again. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Why is it so personal for you, Sophie? Well, I think I did get some good money habits. I've, I've um, done a lot of good things. I, didn't, I was always a saver. I bought my first condo in the early 90s when I was 24 um, with my own money. And so, and I know a lot of that came about because I had some lessons early on that maybe weren't the best use of financial skills and money. And for some reason, it just taught me to do the opposite and to create my own security. And so a lot of that came, uh, it just built those skills inside me to create that for myself. Wow, excellent. So let's talk about the ways that, that parents can start incorporating good financial lessons uh, into parenting and with their kids and how to figure that out. Where do yeah. they start? Yeah, so the first the first lesson, um, I'll give you a couple here for younger children, and then we can go into a couple for teens. Yes. But the very first thing to start with, and I think it was just mentioned in one of our quick little comments here, was talking, tell your financial stories. You need to talk to the children and talk to your spouse and have the children, even within earshot, talking about your financial stories and your histories. So if someone's laid off from work, you must not hide that from the child. It has to be told in a manner that they can handle, but that needs to be discussed. These are the best lessons. So you've got to tell them what you did right or your family did right and what you did wrong, and they're going to learn that way. That's so interesting because it's so counterintuitive, right? We tend to shield uh, right. children, and, and we were shielded as children, I think, or at least I know I mm-hmm. was from anything bad. Yeah, but that's, and that's the problem, actually, isn't it? Because I've equated it now to looking back to our Depression-era generation, who I loved those guys, those ladies and men who saved so hard and paid their homes off. And why do you think they did it? Why did they save the elastic bands? Because around the table, when they were little, they were told, don't waste anything. Yeah. Dad's out of a job. Mom's, mom has to stay home now. Whatever it was, and they had a lesson young, and it carried them through their life. Yeah, I think you're making a great point, so, uh, sorry, pardon me, uh, you're making a great point, um, Sophie, just about how families should talk about money, and I see it, um, you know, definitely with couples, where sometimes one member of the couple, and it's quite often the male member, but not always, but they take all of the responsibility, all of the decisions, and the female member or the other spouse, um, you know, if something happens to that person who's made all the decisions, they just don't know where to turn, you know, it can be very, very disorienting. Yeah, and so I encourage my clients to make sure both spouses are coming in because I, I've seen it time and time again where one person is left. And, and like you said, the most important thing is who are you going to call? Who's going to be there to help you? 
I know you've got yeah. a couple for young children that we should I be do. telling. Yeah, go. Yeah. So the next one would be uh, very simple, but just um, bring them with you grocery shopping and have little talks here and there about what's the best price today for this product or why do we pay more? Is the quality better? Is it, is it, not, is it okay to buy the lesser cost product? So that's important. Um, a couple for teens. Number one there would probably be about um, getting them to learn how to budget. So if they, you're going to give them an allowance or an amount of money for back-to-school shopping, just stick to that amount and really teach them how they've got to make choices to stick within that limited amount because that's how we all live, isn't it? We all have a limit <laughs> month to month. You have to learn how to live with that. And um, even something simple like um, make them responsible for their cell phone bill. So make them pay that, and, and they're going to maybe have to have a small job to pay that off, but maybe they'll learn the diligence about being being wise about how they spend that money on that bill. Unfortunately, I think, Sophie, they're going to end up being the only kid in their group that's uh, <laughs> having to do that, right? Because that's just not the norm today. It's not. And so as a parent, I'm a parent too, right? You have to you have to learn to not care about that, don't you? At the end of the day, what I say to myself, because I've been doing this job for 20 years, I've watched a lot of people walk through my door, and my mandate with, with my own child is I don't want her home at 30 in my basement. I really don't. And so <laughs> I, my job is to teach her the skills to get her out there so she can stand her own two feet, hopefully. Obviously, there may be extenuating circumstances, but that's just my overall goal. That's a good goal. The other thing I think of, too, you know, and I mentioned it as we when we started this, is that sometimes the parents aren't so good with money, and so the idea of having to pass along some good ideas or some ad- helpful advice to their kids, yep. they're just dumbstruck, like they don't have a clue where to start. Yeah, and I under- totally understand that. If you don't have anybody around you or just didn't have the opportunity to learn that, then that's where you're coming to see someone like myself to get those skills and get that help. And I would say bring your children in to some of your financial appointments. I've had clients bring their young children into my investment appointments where we're talking about the stocks and the bonds, etc. And I would I would also say there's nothing wrong with bringing in them in for part of the meeting. Maybe you don't want them to know exactly how much money is available in the family, for instance. Right. So just bring them in for half the meeting and then they can go sit in another area of the and wait for you outside the meeting. But but again, a couple of things are happening there. They're learning your stories. And number two, they're learning to be comfortable coming into our environment. How often have I heard that people are intimidated walking into their bank, their credit union to talk to somebody and that should not be the way we're here to help you. Yeah, Sophie, I think you're hitting on such a great point there um, because, you know, it breeds familiarity, yeah. right? You know, being in that environment and it gives you confidence as well um, because I think a lot of people grow up in a household where it's not polite to talk about money um, and then they sometimes think, okay, well, I'm when I'm dealing with the bank, I need to be very polite, which means I'm not going adva- to advocate for my interests. I'm going to take mm-hmm. what's put in front of me. I'm not going to shop around because that's the polite way to do it. And, you know, people take nothing else away here. It's, you know, that time for politeness is gone. You've got to be in the driver's seat of your own financial future. Yeah, they definitely have to know what questions to ask and exactly put yourself, that's a very great point, advocating for yourself and getting the best advice. And that's where you can go to a few, couple of people to get a couple of opinions and advice too. One of the things I was thinking about, Sophie, you're so smart around money and you've been smart around it for a really long time. Um, it's not always the easiest thing to do in terms of adopting a new thought process around Mm -hmm. money, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And the idea of being a good financial role model, um, there's got to be, what, three or four or five things that if you're wanting to change, because I I believe it's never too late to change, that somebody could take this this new position on and be smarter about it. Yeah, and so uh, things I talk about with clients and, and people I meet are, what's going to motivate you? 
I've done so many financial plans for people where the outcomes are great. You know, if they follow this, if they follow ABCD, they're going to get to E, but it doesn't happen a lot. And it doesn't happen because they're not motivated to make that change. And so I always tell people, you've got to dig a little deep and find out what is going to motivate you. So, And that's what you've got to put at your forefront. If I do A and I'm diligent about saving this money, it's helping me get to B. And B is where you got to go. So that would be a good thing to take on as a role model for your kids, right? Yep, yep, teaching them the, those those tactics too, yep. And now I understand why you think uh, having your having your teenager pay their own cell phone bill is a good idea. <laughs> it's, if you don't teach them then, when are you going to teach them? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be paying the phone bill forever. <laughs> exactly, I hear yeah. you, I hear yeah. you loud and clear. Yeah. What are the most challenging areas that you've found for uh, for parents to start to talk to their kids and train their children better in the in financial financial decisions? Well, I think you touched on it slightly. And as parents, we we want to help. We want to pick them up when they fall and, and help them as much as we can and get them that good start. And we've just got to be so careful we don't go overboard. So if you loan your child, I do this with my own daughter. I'm not afraid to say it. If I loan her some money because we're out and she wants to buy a book or something, it's a, you know, whatever number, number of dollars, I'm really conscious about going home and that day or whenever it is, making sure I ask for that money back. That's a really important lesson, isn't it? We have mm-hmm. to pay them the money back we borrow most people. You do in the yeah. real world. Yeah, no, exactly. no free money. <laughs> yeah, no free money. And it's just a small habit. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, I can put the money where I want. I can put it back into a bank account for her or whatever. But it's just the habit, right? Teaching those habits young, are so it's so much easier when they're young. I remember being very resentful of uh, those kinds of lessons that my father would try to teach me, right? I mean, and, and, and I can yeah. see that as being something that's going to happen today as well, because it seems we bend over backwards to help our kids or to give our kids as much as we possibly can. And, and I think the other side then, let's say instead of that, if you're having difficulty with that, then the other step is to just help them get a job. Now my daughter has um, been cat-sitting, so someone asked me, hey, could you watch our cat for us when we're away? And I said, I took a minute to think, and I thought, well, yeah, I could, but can I just have my daughter? Because she can walk the block now to go up there and do it. So she's been mm-hmm. doing it. So find a job to empower them then, to, to set you free, let's say, <laughs> set the parent free from that a little bit, and get them empowered to get that money in themselves that you can then help them figure out how to budget and put towards things for them. Yeah, and I think empowerment is such is just such a great word to use in this situation because in this day and age we get bombarded with so much stuff that feeling empowered is difficult regardless of how old you are uh, when it comes especially to money things. Well, and it's also about teaching them about the needs versus the wants, isn't it? Mm-hmm. They have to learn to understand you, you shouldn't need or you shouldn't want everything you see advertised or what your friends all have. You've got to, you've got to think for yourself what's the best course of action for you in the long term. And that's hard. I know that's hard to teach them. But just be aware of it so you can try when the little lessons come up. You can reinforce some things that are important. Now, we're just winding up. We've got about a minute left. Resources that you think, uh, after listening to this discussion, where I could go to get more information. Yeah, I'm going to give you um, one website link. I've looked at it myself for quite a lot of time, and I love it because it's just really simple. So it's great, simple ideas, and it's called 360 Degrees of Financial Literacy. And it's just a nice tool. You're going to go in there. You're going to see um, topics for tweens and teens, uh, student debt, all sorts of things. That's a really good one. And I think student debt, thank you for just even mentioning that because that's the next step, right? Yeah. 
for, exactly. for kids today to to know that they've got to get another to get more education, uh, and the cost that's connected with that is enormous. Yeah, we need a plan for that, exactly. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Sophie. We've been talking with Sophie Salcido, who's a wealth advisor at Van City, over 20 years experience providing financial advice. If you'd like more information about Sophie or to try to get a hold of her, easy to do. VanCity.com is the website. And uh, there's just so much good information out there. Thank you so much again, Sophie. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. For information on any of the services we've talked about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So let's dispel a myth that only people who are bad at budgeting get to that point of needing some uh, debt management help. Because I'm pretty sure that's that's what we all think. I know I do. Right? That's the perception. It is. It's mm-hmm. the perception. It's a standard one. Uh, in today, you know, in today's age, yeah, you're just not able to manage your uh, your dollars and cents very well. But that's but that's not the case, right? Yeah. So even when um, Elaine, when I was studying to become a trustee, I started to wonder, you know, at some point, are we going to run out of people to help? You know, because at some point, everyone's going to learn how to budget. Everyone's going to learn these great tools, and then no one's going to need the help of a trustee uh, to go into bankruptcy or a proposal. Because I think a lot of us have this going in assumption that there's a huge element of mismanagement to somebody getting into financial trouble. I think for today, let's talk about, you know, the real facts behind it. Sometimes mismanagement is a factor, but there's often things just completely outside of a person's control that any of us could end up in that situation. And that show up out of the blue, completely unexpected, anything from uh, uh, death in the family to health issues, personal health issues. I mean, all kinds of things. I mean, you know how quickly your day can get derailed by something going on in your family. Uh, So, yeah, so that happens to everybody. Yeah, it's basically life happens and there's often a financial impact to those events. Now, through all your years of doing this, there must be sort of a set of common causes or or things that you see time and time again, uh, not having anything to do with mismanagement of, mm-hmm. of your own money. So let's talk about those. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, there's, there's probably about four really core causes um, okay. that, you know, come up a- again and again. And, you know, some of them do overlap a little bit. Um, but, you know, the number one thing, and this is not surprising by any means, but it's a lack of income. You know, it's, it's either they've lost a job, you know, someone had a great job for many years, and we should all have an emergency fund built up, but maybe they weren't able to save that emergency fund, or maybe it's it's gone out. Um so they've, they've just had their income shocked, you know, they've, they've lost their job or they've replaced their job, but it's at a lower wage. Sure. So, you know, that that's huge. Now, often that also happens in retirement um, because every year in retirement, you know, your cost of livings increases, um, but your pension is typically not indexed to the same amount if it's indexed at all. Absolutely. So a lot of uh, seniors, they find just every year their, their buying power is eroding uh, and that lack of income can lead to them getting into trouble with their debts. Sure. And those are two things that are completely out of your own control. Mm-hmm. Now, what about relationships? 
relationship stuff because that can always throw huge uh, wrenches into people's lives. Yeah, so that's definitely you know the second factor that we should discuss today is is you know relationship breakdown, divorce, separation. So one of the most disruptive things you can imagine emotionally, but incredibly disruptive financially also. Um, so you've got essentially the same expenses on half of the income if you've got to go and reestablish yourself. You've got a bunch of upfront costs. You know, perhaps it's to furnish a new apartment, to give a first and last month's rent, or to put damage deposit or things like that. You know, there could be childcare costs mm-hmm. if it's a relationship where, you know, one family member was staying at home and now not both have to work. You know, that could be it. You know, sometimes there's some, you know, horrible eventualities like a, a spouse passes away yeah. and, you know, suddenly that, you know, the income is gone. Maybe there's some insurance, maybe not, but, you know, the, the financial situation takes a big hit um, and definitely not <laughs> by a small factor, but just the legal fees. You know, if everything's amicable, that's great. But sometimes, you know, both sides get a lawyer. They use the lawyer as a weapon to get back at each other. And sure. the only one that wins in the end is the actual lawyer. Right. Making lots and lots of money as mm-hmm. a result of it. Um, so again, something completely out of our control. And also, you know, I was thinking as you were going through that list, we don't have control over the things like uh, uh, the cost of living, mm-hmm. cost of daycare, cost of running a car now that you didn't yeah. have to before, insurance, all those things. So it's incredibly expensive. Yeah. And just the, you know, the many things we pay for now that previous generations didn't have to pay for. Yeah. You ever see a bottle of water in 60s, 70s, 80s? Not much, exactly. right? And everyone's carrying bottles of water around. Yeah. A cell phone didn't exist back then, but hey, you're lucky if you're paying less than 70 or 80 bucks a month on a cell phone and usually a lot more. So it costs a lot more to live now. um, And, you know, unfortunately, wages haven't really increased along, along the same scale here. Okay, what else? Yeah, so so moving along, so, you know, we talked about a lack of income, we talked about a relationship breakdown, definitely, you know, probably a third in magnitude or, or pretty close to number two there is medical issues. So, you know, you got sick, you had to take some time off of work, or you have to do this expensive therapy that as much as we have socialized medicine in this country, not everything is covered. And if you don't have a good employer-sponsored plan, you know, you could be out of pocket very significantly while you're going through some type of a, of a health scare. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's you had to retire five, 10 years sooner than you wanted to, and you just weren't financially ready, but your health gave out and there was nothing that you could do. Right. And the uh, the unforeseen accidents, things that just happen out of the blue, right? Yeah. Either at work or just walking across the street. Sounds very mm-hmm. dire, right? All these things that we're talking about that can yeah. happen. But I think it's good to sort of, for a juxtaposition, to change people's thinking that it's not just debt uh, management or poor management of your money mm-hmm. and leading you into a debt, but there's a whole bunch of things. Yeah, uh, and, and how can you not be compassionate to someone in those, in those situations? So, you know, that's something people take away from this. It's to understand if you see, hey, this person filed a bankruptcy or this person you know, made a consumer proposal, they probably did that after exhausting everything else that they could have done. And to deal with some of these issues that we've talked about, again, I don't see people that are out there to, you know, actively try to pay back less than they owe when they have the ability to do so. Exactly. Because I think everybody, for the most part, wants to, you know, is good to their word, right? And you yeah. S- the, yeah, I can't think of another way to explain it other than that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if debts, if your debts are out of control or, or, or let's, let's flip that around. Let's say they're under control and pretty good, but if you get a couple of things that now fall apart on you, yeah. then 
that again, I mean, even small, three small things, oh, yeah. like a rent increase, childcare increase, uh, car insurance, you know, little small percentages, and we hear about those all the time, yeah. that can whack you as well. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, there can be other factors too. You know, maybe you're self employed and suddenly a large contract that you had decides not to pay, or, you know, they go bankrupt or, or something like that, sure. and that shocks you. Um, you know, maybe the condo that you're living in, hopefully not anymore, but there was a period of time when leaky condos in BC, you know, right. massive special assessments. So, you know, really the the things in life that can happen are you know, can have financial impact. Yeah, and forget about even leaky condos. I mean, uh, present day kinds of things uh, that if you're in a strata and they need major improvements yeah. or it's a 25-year-old building and now it's time to replace the roof and the special assessment's going to be 10 grand. Well, 10 grand on a small family or a young family or even retired, right? It's a challenge for sure. Yeah, it can be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And you know what I see a lot of the time is, is many of these folks they're managing just fine. You know, they maybe have a bunch of debt, but they're keeping up on all the minimums and things are okay. But there's one shock to the system, and then suddenly they can no longer make the minimums. And then you know they're over limit on one card, and it gets cut off, and they're moving money from one to another. And then the bank seizes some of their assets, so it can spiral downwards pretty quickly. Now I know that you see people take action before they come and see you. What are the mm-hmm. kinds of things that people do? Just is there a bit of a list? for those? Yeah, so definitely, you know, everyone starts to look in, inward first. So they try to think, okay, well, what can I do to cut my expenses? So, you know, the first thing, and we've asked all our clients about this, is, you know, they look at their housing expenses. But housing is very difficult to reduce. It's you know, one of the more fixed costs that you can deal with. Yeah, you can move. But in Vancouver these days, it's going to be pretty difficult sure. to get something to rent for lower than what you're paying now. So, you know, people look at cutting expenses. But then what they often do is they enlarge the problem and they make it worse because they borrow from friends and family. And then now suddenly, instead of having to let down MasterCard Visa and that, you've got to let down, you know, your brother, sister, parent or whatever. Or just that stress of owing yeah, the money now too, Exactly. Right? So, it, you know, in the short term, you think, okay, this money might get me through a little bit, but oftentimes they just become another creditor and you still have to deal with the issue in the end. But now you've got a family member that you're going to let down at, the, at that same time. So what can you do that would actually stop you from having a big debt problem and you've got a couple of these things going on. Expenses have risen and you're feeling very pinched. What's What are the kinds of things that are really positive, good things to do? You know, a couple of things you'd have to have done before the fact, right? Before the things happen. So the number one thing is just to protect yourself by having some savings. You know, best practice is anywhere from three to six months of expenses in a savings account that you never touch. So if you were unemployed, you could make all of your monthly bills for the next three to six months without any stress. Right. And so, we say that easily. And yeah. That's really challenging yeah, for a lot and, of folks. And who's got that? Who's I'm sorry, I don't have it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it's exactly. very difficult. And I'm an expert here. So, yeah. you know, it's very difficult to save that amount of money because life intervenes. You know, what you can do when you're facing the storm is you can actively avoid making it worse. So, you know, oftentimes people will start to go to payday lenders. Um, you know, they'll go to other high interest rate lenders, you know, loan sharks or things like that. Again, they'll borrow from friends and family or they'll just put their head in the sand and they'll say, well, as long as I've got a credit limit here that's not at the max yet, I'm just going to keep using that until I can't use it anymore. Anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Lots of things. Lots of lots of good ideas. Of course, it's uh, this show is a great resource for you. We give you lots and lots of good information here. It's called Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scullin along with Blair Manton. For more information, check out the website sands-trustee.com. Uh, if any of this information, if it's sort of sticking to you and you're thinking I need to do something, go to the website. You can book your free consultation with one of the experts and start living or at least take those first steps towards living that debt-free life.
The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.